0: in the case of but test but but the i for transport uh tenant
1: a podcast called strangest fruit everybody in rolling
2: Strangest Fruit Podcast, Brian James in the house with my twin co-host, De Dante Farmer. We got a, a giant today in literally. the world of recovery, in the world of rescue. And literally. Yeah, literally, literally a giant uh, with the 24-inch biceps. The... Uh,
0: juggernauts. <laughs> Juggernaut. Uh,
2: we got uh, uh, and a, and, and a friend and a brother, uh, you know, first and foremost, Mike from all the way from New York, Pitbulls and Addicts. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Mike.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, like I was telling Dante a little earlier, it's kind of crazy that I've been, on a, I've been on a mission to show the world that pit bulls and addicts are two misunderstood breeds for almost six years now. And I have yet to sat down and speak on a podcast. You know, it's kind of crazy that, you know, in the, the world that we live in, running social media platforms, you have to speak for approval. You're not always speaking, you know, the truth or... You know like you you have to try to keep everything where everybody could understand, but there's always a the truth behind what comes with this mission. this mission is something that you know like it was a visionary dream to show the world what a what a what a drug addict could do with his life you know and uh and I do it, and I do it very well but i um in order for me to be myself, you know I have to kind of be with men that understand me or women that understand me people that understand me um you know if you know anything about addicts is that we are definitely we are all the same, but we all have different mindsets. You know, some addicts will wake up and say that they, you know, they can't do something because of what they're told or what what they see, or you know, their friend keeps on going back, and you know, you keep on putting yourself in in the circle that everybody's just either going back to prison, going back to to drugs, or just playing victim, and nobody's on the rise. And it took me a long time to realize that you know, as an addict, if I wanted to be the man that I wanted to be. That I have to do what I have to do, and what I had to do was I had to look myself in the mirror, and I needed to understand that I was the only one that dug myself into that grave, and I'm the only one that can get out of that grave. Um, but on social media, like I said, you know, everybody, everybody's a therapist. Everybody, yeah, is, yeah, uh, yeah, pop, you know, yeah, every, pop therapy. Every, yeah. Everybody understands an addict. You know, everybody will judge an addict. Everybody, everybody will be the first one to, you know, praise a celebrity that goes and gets help but be the first one to say that their friend's son is a junkie because, you know, he's active addiction and, you know, they look at him, but then they look at a celebrity who's going to go get help and they're retweeting him and, and good for him. And they're proud of him. Like, you know, and then, you know, you got the the real problems and, and the people beside you that people no longer care about. Um, and like I said, social media, just, it, it twists this world upside down. So running a platform based upon pimples and addicts and showing the world what I could personally do as an addict in recovery that, that, you know, I said a couple of things, uh, almost seven years ago to my father Well, seven years ago. I'm seven years sober. I said a couple of things to my father that I stay true to. And I, the one thing that I did tell my father was that I was going to go from zero to hero, no matter what it took. And, uh, I had no clue on what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. Um, but I just put my, my, my 10 toes on the ground and I started walking and like I said, I faced a very tough journey because I wanted to show people that that junkie could rise. You know, I was, I was done. I was done with with that with that life. That life almost got the best of me. Um, fortunately, it was right before the epidemic, um, right before the pills and everything got really, really bad. Damn! And, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa! See, see, see. You, you done went in too heavy. You got to save that. Like I say, you gave the world a good carrot right there. Well, that's there. why we got the editor over here. No, 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 <laughs> uh, no, no. Know. See, you, you gave the world a good carrot. You gave, no, you saved the world a good carrot. But we want to go to the beginning.
1: To the beginning.
0: We want to we go because he, wanna how- when, I, when I look at you and I see the old pictures of him, you know, what he reminds me of? Iron Man. I mean, not Iron Man. What's what's the Captain America. Remember when Captain America first joined the army? He was a little, you know, kitty yeah. little <laughs> dude and something happened and he came out that thing, just the biggest, just he's just a all American, you know, what everybody wanted to be like, impenetrable. He was that that perfect image. You look at the pictures of Mike, the before, and you look at him now, you like, all right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, okay, we got, you know, self-wanna go back to the kid. Yeah, successful. You didn't just arrive here. Yeah, you know, you pull up in here with the With the New York accent and all that, you know we we want to go to Baby Mike, yo. Yeah, yeah, how it (laughs) all started. Yeah, yeah. How did uh, yeah take us back? Uh, Tell us. I mean, because this is all the formula. This is the formula. You're already at the recipe. We want to know what all that went into this, the good and the bad, into this 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 stew of of what's what you've become and who you've become in life. So this is, you know, we got to get to that first.
2: Yeah. Well, and we're you, speaking to the young Mikes, the young Brian's, the young DeDantes of yeah. the world though, that that haven't gone through the process like we have. So yeah, take So what back.
1: I could tell you is that I'm definitely somebody that I shouldn't have been the person that I'd become. You know, I realized that in, you know, in life, there's a lot of people out there that are born with less opportunity. Um, you know, especially dealing with the people that I deal with. Um, I deal with drug addicts and drug addicts' families and you know, people that have been defeated and broken. People, I said, I, like I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm broken. I'm a broken man, even though, you know, like am I, am I repairing myself? Yeah, I'm, I'm repairing myself, but I'll forever be broken. Like things in life that shattered me. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I shouldn't have been the man that I became, but you know, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Staten Island, New York. My father was a narcotics detective.
0: What? What? What's ironic? You know, I, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, so, yeah. I'm unfamiliar. I've never even been on a plane, brother. Uh-huh. So, all I see is what I see on New York. You know, right now they got artists out there talking about she real aggressive. She talking about don't come to New York. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what, what's what's going on? Like it's
1: what's? Well, New York has changed. Like I said, if I wasn't so invested into what I have and I could pick up and come, I would be out here in California. New York has changed. It's not the same that it used to be um you know like i know there's a lot of people out there that will say like you know fuck the police and they judge because of a badge and i'll tell you right now there's good cops and there's bad cops yeah absolutely um you know i grew up i, I grew up with a narcotics detective with a, with a group of cops that actually wanted to serve the community like I, my father and, and his group were the ones who put together the, the clothing drive for the kids in the projects and made sure that the kids had you know decent sneakers on and tried to like you know you know, tr- help these kids while trying to keep the street safe but you know when it came down to my father's pride and joy was taking guns off the street and and stopping those kilos um my father was the first man in on a drug raid um i remember i, I growing up i wanted to be my father you know just like every man every baby boy that has a dad chances are he's going to want to be like you and you know I'm approaching 40 years old and I I came out here to like really reflect on my life. Like it's a new decade coming. Like now I have to be a man and I have no choice. And, you know, like I'm ready and willing to accept it the same way that I changed my life around. But, you know, um, growing up, I I was supposed to, you know, probably be like a sanitation. Again, you know, I I went to sanitation after I I didn't get any degree. I, I had no choice. You have to you have to have a college degree to, to get certain city jobs. What did you
2: want to be what, what, growing up? Did you want to follow growing your Growing up, footsteps? I wanted to follow my
1: father's footsteps. Okay. And then, you know, I, I did like work on my hands. At, at four years old, my father gave me a four by four, um, a box of nails and a hammer. And I used to sit in the basement and I used to Damn, smack yeah, nails. Yeah, yeah. I'd be hitting my fucking thumb and say, my father used to hit his thumb and say, shit, shit. And, and you'd... I'd be sitting there and I'd be hitting my thumb and I'd be in debt, But i about <laughs> for hours. And then my my, my family used to always give me pipe works where you put the, you know, I don't know, old school pipe works. If you remember, it was like all these like parts and you could make things. And I used to make all this crazy shit with pipe works, like connecting pipes to make things. And, uh, you know, but more like I wanted to be like my dad. My dad was my my dad was my everything. And that's
2: what they say. Every child either um, is trying to either live up to their dad's expectations or right their dad's wrongs.
1: So, yeah yeah my father my def, my father was like uh my father was a father and you know like i'm i'm very fortunate that i was raised by that man and uh to be honest with you like i said i got lost for for many years of my life and um i could finally tell you that i i'm definitely the man that my father was trying to raise you know Amen. my father took pride in in raising a child and and again that's why i always tell like even though i'm not a dad like i still you know like I honor good parents like there's, I I I am fortunate enough that you know like no matter what I've been through and everything that I personally did to myself it was not because of my parents my parents were always there for a phone call my parents never turned their back on me no matter what it was my mom and my dad my mom to this day and my father to his last breath they stood beside me and you know like I'm a, I'm proud that I made that my parents able to say that my my son is a, is a changed man you know like it, it it's it's a new beginning and it's a new road So getting back to me growing up, you know, so I grew up and, you know, obviously, um, you know, old school ways that like, I I, I believe that my my parents wouldn't just take us to any type of doctor. So, you know, like if you want to say like addiction is a disease and or like ADHD and ADD and all of this, right? That's how they judge these kids and they get them onto mind altering substances at, at an early age. And my father used to be against that. My father used to say, like, you know, if, you're, if your son's acting a certain much way, you don't put him on a medicine, you slap him up. I'm like, yo, what are you yeah, doing? So, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? And you got <laughs> it. And that's, you know, being raised by men. Like, you know, like, what, what people take me and people take the, the mic that you see today. A lot of people judge me. And it's like, listen, I'm just not going to follow this culture of, like, not being proud to be a man. Like, I remember when I was growing up, like, I, there was always men, always men there for us. Like you know, and some people don't know know how it feels to to be treated with like respect as some you be treated like with love from somebody that's not your father. It's an uncle or a friend and stuff like that. So having having men around me, but um, I try to I try to match that energy nowadays. You understand? Yeah, that's so that, from, um,
0: that 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 uh, it takes a tribe.
1: Yeah, aspect, you know? but you need a leader,
0: Right.
1: you know. And we don't live in a world where where, where people don't people don't care about their own kids anymore.
0: Well, the, one
2: of the things that we always talk about, in we've said this a bunch of times, like in prison, what you very rarely see is a is a, a father in a visit room. Mm-hmm. They're never there. You
1: know, th- to be honest with you, I, I truly believe, like you know, that there's parents out there that just say, you know, we gave the, this this my son every opportunity. Now he has to he has to face what he's got to face. You know. You're sitting behind those bars because of a choice. And sometimes the parents are the ones that have to put their foot down and say, listen, he got in there. When he gets home, we're going to, you know, let him know, like, you're welcome or or whatever the case is. But it's very hard for a parent. And again, I'm not speaking like I was in prison because thankfully I didn't make it to prison. But what I could tell you is that, um, you know, I do a lot of speaking with parents who've, you know, lost their children to addiction or to prison because you know as well as I do that the prison system once you get lost in the prison system you know your hopes of making it out are getting slimmer you know what I'm saying prison is real people don't understand prison just because they watch a tv show or they watch a reel on instagram you know they don't have no clue what prison is prison out in california is a lot different than new york prison but prison is prison you know what I'm saying and what happens is that I truly believe like good Good kids that keep on going back to prison. Now they now they create comfort zones, and they don't care about going back. They going they going home to three hots and a cot.
2: Yeah, it's better than where they're coming than from. What they're yeah, doing yeah.
1: Because they don't know who they are. Exactly. So you know, and again, you know, I can't stress to you guys like sitting with with guys that that had done prison time. Like you know, you guys did serious time. You guys have you been with killers. You know, I wasn't. I didn't make it that far. But you were locked inside of your own block. Yeah, yeah. Right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
1: So now if you want to know how my story started, Where, yeah, this well, is when we could start. Young this Mike. This is how it started. And I didn't recognize what was happening when it was happening. And I didn't put all of this together until I sat down and I thought about who I was and who I am and how did this really happen to me. Because like I can tell you, I was raised by a narcotics detective. I was that kid that said I would never be a drug addict. I'm fully aware of what's gonna happen to me. My father would come home and show us pictures and, you know, tell us stories about everything about to do with a drug addict. You know, so yeah, you seen I the end result of addiction. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah and I still didn't give a fuck. And the reason why I didn't give a fuck was because um, you know, genetically, I don't have the best teeth. You know what I'm saying? There's people that are, you know, gifted with beautiful pearly whites, and then there's people that have. You know they 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 have softer teeth, so that their teeth you know start to get cavities and stuff.
2: Butter sticks, <laughs> <laughs> that, that what they call it? Off? Like my girl says, my yeah. butter sticks.
1: So what happened was, you know, I didn't have the best teeth, and then you know, um, I I had to go to the dentist to get some cavities filled, and and I'll never forget that I walked in there. I was 11 years old, and my my mother had just dropped me off because she had to go back to work. But she worked in the school, just you know helping. But back in the day, you know, it was different. They, they they just dropped the kids off. They went in. You know, I went in to get my, my teeth done, and then they would pick me back up. So I walked into this thing, and I'll never forget. I walked in. I, I walked around the corner and into that room, and it was like a dark room, and I had this dentist there that, that you know, hated himself because of, you know, like if I looked like that man, I would hate myself too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like um, yeah. being real. Like, And I'm yeah, only yeah, saying yeah. that because of, like, you know, like I'm yeah. a young kid and I have cavities and, and, and he, he slams his fucking hand on that desk and he said, by the age of 30, you will have no fucking teeth in your mouth. And I'll never forget this. And I sat there like I just got my manhood taken from me, from a man that I don't even fucking know.
2: And you were already sensitive about the topic I was already sensitive going because in. Because
1: like I said, growing up, these kids got beautiful teeth that I was with. And, and, and again, it wasn't the front, it was the backs, it was cavities, and I was there to fix them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to be violated like that at such an yeah, early I mean, age, that shit took my manhood. And it made me leave that office like I was violated by another man that wasn't even my father. But I grew up with New Yorkers that we didn't talk much. So all I did was now search for a comfort zone as I was a broken and defeated broken boy. That's what I, I was broken and defeated. I felt like, you know, that was, he took everything from me. Like, who were you to talk to me like that? And some people just say, oh, that's not that serious. It is that serious. It is that oh, serious. T- it T- is T- that T- serious. Very, very serious. I was I was already embarrassed. I was, you know, going to face it to get it done. Like, you know, like I went in there, you know, it was my family dentist and and this is what happened to me. So I never spoke about it. And I didn't even realize what was going on until I was 30 something years old. You traced it back to that. I traced it back because bro, I almost took oh, my life over this. Damn. I almost took my life over this because I got to the point where I was proud of who I was but I still couldn't look somebody in the face and speak with them. I was missing teeth, like I'll take my fucking teeth out right now, I don't care no more. That's why I tell kids, make sure you fucking take care of your teeth. Uh, I'm, I'll take my teeth out right now, there's no more shame in this game. I am who I am, you're gonna love me or hate me, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, we love you. I know you love me, cause it's <laughs> yeah. real. Yeah, absolutely, it's real. absolutely. You know, there's nothing not to love about somebody who's just real. There's no shadiness in my life, I'm not, when I leave the room it's I'm not talking about you, If I'm going to say something, I'm going to say it to your face. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If you want to hate me because of it, you're going to hate me because of it. But that don't matter. Like, I lived in such a dark, deep, mental, then it became physical. Every type of hole that you could possibly be in from 11 years old being mentally abused.
2: So would you, that's the moment you would identify as maybe like the turning point? That
1: that was my turning point of uh, me broken. I already had the insecurities and the fears and you know a little bit of pain all, and all, yeah, that, absolutely. all that bullshit. Yeah. That was the beginning of it. At 11 years old when I went to go fix it and he violated me. And again, the, the, I just remember leaving there saying like, I am never fucking coming back to the dentist. I don't give a fuck. I'm never coming back. Yeah. I used to sit so in the checkup appointments. I used to have my mom drop me off and I remember I went to the wrong dentist. There was another dentist two blocks down. And I went and I sat in that room for an hour. And then I walked back up to the dentist. And I told my mom, now she was coming. She had to just pick me up and go back to school. And I remember telling her that um, they didn't call my name. And then when the secretary called my house, I deleted the message. And how old are you? 11, 12. That's crazy. At that age, you're already constructing. Just, just like oh. beating it. Like, and, I, and I never said nothing.
0: But that's the, that's the turning point at, at a, young, a young boy's age. That I remember, remember I told you about the liquor store. A kid came in with his older sister. You know they're they're kind of hard on the kids. That's when I lived over there in uh in Venice. And the kid goes into the store and he's like, "How much is this?" He's like, "This much." How much is this? And he's trying to count his little change in his pocket. And the store owner just started, "Oh, if you don't have the money, put stuff back. Don't touch stuff if you don't have money. If you broke, get out." Mm-hmm. So I looked at him, and he looked at his sister, and he's like, "That's you can see it. That's that's the triggers right there at a young boy's age, whether he's gonna be like." You know what motherfucker? I'm going to go get in these streets. I'm going to go get it how I right. get it. It's all you just disrespecting me in it's front a, of a whole it's school. A turning point. in front of my peers. Everybody at school's going to laugh at me. You're going to humiliate me mm-hmm. and I can either break a person in a good way or a bad way. Most of the time I'm not... and when you're
2: living with a shame already right. like like poverty like dealing with your teeth or something like and some like a grown adult are just nails you with that I topic. Suppose, but I'm there for
1: a safe haven.
2: To get it like get I'm here it fixed. to a fix. Right. To
1: get it fixed. Yeah. And I left there, like I said, and, and that was, so then from there, I remember I was lost and, and, and just fighting this, this, you know, like just the, like what I had going on. I wasn't going back to the dentist and I just learned how to, you know, like I remember, I remember just running and running for years. And then I remember like I was maybe like 14 years old, 14 or 15. And then and, uh, now this is from 11 to 14 and, and my front teeth started to decay around the sides right so i was in long beach island and me and my father were playing ball on on the beach and i used to hide my teeth so now if you watch me now i have my teeth fixed and i still because of all of my years of covering up my teeth i will still speak covering up my teeth so i did this at a young age i was i was my father was a detective and he didn't even know that my front teeth were rotted away so I had thrown the ball to him, and then he did something stupid, and I laughed. And I remember him looking at me and saying, "Come here," and he said, "Smile for me." And I said, "No." He said, "Michael, smile for me." And I smiled. He says, "Why wouldn't you tell me that you needed to go to the dentist?" Damn. I said, "Oh, that just just happened." And he said, "This shouldn't just happen." And I still didn't tell him.
2: Why do you feel like you you didn't share that moment? Like why? Because I was
1: just. I don't know. I don't know why I never spoke about it. And I mean, why, I've had
2: shame in my life. It was Yeah. I mean, again, I like, was just yeah, embarrassed. Yeah.
1: Like again, I don't know. I don't. I, I wish I knew. Yeah. I do wish I knew because, but then that's another reason why I do tell these young kids nowadays, like, yo, speak up, speak up. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you that this almost made me take my fucking life. Man. Speak about it. Maybe I wasn't molested. Maybe I wasn't beat. Maybe I wasn't this. Maybe, but I was still. Something happened in my life that put me down the wrong road. And if I would have spoke about it, I wouldn't be sitting here to speak to you. I'd probably be a detective. I'd probably be on sanitation. I had an opportunity, you know, but I I just couldn't stop doing coke. I I did the drug test thinking that I drink two two gallons of water before I take the test. I I didn't sniff blow for, for I don't even remember how many days before, and I still popped dirty. That's how much coke was in my system.
2: So did you start using, uh, like, at that, like around 14?
1: No. So what happened was I started drinking Naturally, I grew up in an Irish household. So like <laughs> my parents used to party.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: you know, and a little, little beers here, a little beers there, nothing serious. And then we just started to sneak around and, um, we started to, in, in high school, we started to drink and, and one of my friends lived in, uh, in, in the basement of his parents' house. And we would, my, my, uh, we used to have the older kids buy us alcohol and St. Ides. I don't know if you guys drink St. Oh, Ides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we used to drink St. Ides and shit, and then, you know, like, we, but we would drink, like, excessively, and, you know, like, in that, and that's where I started to find my comfort zone. So what happened, so when, when I was violated, when when my life changed at 11 years old, um, you know, as as, as a young lost boy, I was searching for things, and, yeah. and, you know, like, now I'm starting to realize, like, all right, so that was my, my addict mentality is, is a comfort zone for this reason, and I was running and running, and running. So I played hockey. I played hockey for most of my life. Then I was thrown off my team in the 10th grade. And in the 10th grade, when I was thrown off my hockey team, that's when I lost the interest of everything. And that's when I started to drink heavily on the weekends and, you know, started to, you know, just, just what learn. What did you get thrown adapt- off the team for? What I get thrown off the team? I mean, it was bullshit. We were away at, we were away at a, at a, at a tournament. And I was upstairs playing silo with the, with the, the, I was on JV and it was Varsity.
2: CeeLo. that's we're playing CeeLo. I all, all I know about CeeLo is like Four, what five, I hear, six. like like, like Nas and all those. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's dope. So I was out there
1: playing CeeLo with with the with the other the Varsity team, and I was winning. So I couldn't leave the room, and the coaches were waiting for me in my room, and they didn't like the fact that I was out past curfew, so they wanted to sit me. But then I finished that game, and when we came back, they wanted to sit me for X amount of days, and and I. Uh, I threw my skate at the coach and told him to oh. fuck himself. And, you know, I told my father, you know, that was it. And that was that's
0: it. That's the way to get your point across. Yes, yeah. that's about I mean, right. And then, and
1: then I just, then it was back, then it was just like, yo, I had groups of kids everywhere. And the weekends became, instead of, instead of playing hockey and, and doing, you know, things that I should have been doing, you know, it was just getting, just getting as drunk as I can. And That was uh, your,
2: was hockey like your last saving grace? Like at, at that time, that was the last... Yep. thing you're clinging to. So
1: now, so now after that, then I had nothing to cling to, and and my comfort zone became alcohol on the weekends, mm. you know, and just skating through during the week. I used to play, uh, you know, rollerblade, roller skate. Um, I, I, I just, I was just lost, lost doing whatever I could do as a kid. Um, but I, I used to surround myself with, you know, anybody who, who just was just looking to get fucked up, like the, yeah, more yeah. Drunk, the, the, the more alcohol we had, and you know, like, the craziest and the fist fights and the disrespect, and, you know, like, we weren't too, like, you know, like, we used to, we used to, you know, get into, like, group fights, but we were fighting every weekend, um, kids trying to claim territory, like, again, it's, like, that's a joke coming from Staten Island, claiming territory, you know, like, oh, this is our park. <laughs> the Ray's park. back there smiling. This, this yeah, is yeah. our park. Hey, Ray! Right. We out here, like, in the middle of Compton, and he's telling me, like, oh, this is really what it's like, but yeah. you know, that's what yeah. I said, like, you know, Staten Island is, is a little bit different than you know, Los Angeles and, you know, even like Staten Island and Brooklyn are different. Like Staten Island is like, you know, it's a little bit different. So the street life is way different. So, you know, um, but we just like, the Staten Island kids, a lot of them turn to pills. A lot of them like, you know, basement parties and, you know, getting into bars early, a lot of parks and shit like that. So we always found some of keg party going on. It was always alcohol. And then, then I found that that was just so comfortable. And then, you know, coming like my parents,
2: you yeah, know? what what's dad? Uh, what is dad saying at this time? Like, not are we, you hiding it? Or, or, I was hiding
1: it because you were we had, that we, good. I mean, we, hell. You know, I, my father used to be my father. My parents were were pretty cool. Like, they weren't like those people. Like, you have to be home at ten o'clock and sleep next to me. Like, no, my parents like just get home. We had a basement. We had a, a side apartment. So I used to come into the side apartment and just go to sleep on the couch. You know, he had no cool. Even even when <laughs> like you know, even when I was like really addicted, living home. I I used to sniff until I heard my father walking. The second I heard my father open up that door, I used to pretend I was was sleeping. He used to open the door and be like, Michael, I'm like, uh, he closed the door. He's home and he's safe. But meanwhile, I'm still fucked. Yeah, you're going like a hundred miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, it was was just that bad. But, you know, my father didn't really know how bad it was, you know. Um, But he used to always tell us, like, you know, the favors can't drink alcohol. If you drink all the beer you want like alcohol brings out a demon in us, and it's just the truth it's just yeah. the truth like there's a difference between beer and alcohol um, but you know there, there was no stopping me, and he didn't know
0: we've, uh, we've seen what alcohol can do that that yeah, that, that white lightning had people get into a whole bunch of trouble. Yeah, they
2: got hard alcohol in prison. White lightning, they actually take the pruno, they distill it, cook it down into like a clear moonshine. Moonshine. Yeah, yeah we seen some people go nuts. it's like, like it turned yeah. into a
1: rage. They yeah, become a different person. That's why I tell people like, you know, you got to really like, listen, there's people that could drink socially. And, and again, I, this is coming from an alcoholic. I'm like, girl, Yo, if you could have a couple of drinks and enjoy yourself, then God bless you. Yeah. But like if you're just drinking to be accepted, into a room or at a party, or because you just don't know who you are, that's a fucking problem. That's a problem. What? You're drinking, you drinking alcohol to be accepted. I drank alcohol to be accepted
2: and to cover, to and to, to numb. Cover because yeah. you know,
1: the more drunker we get, you ain't gonna be looking in my mouth. Damn. You know, cocaine is a, is, a, is a cocaine and alcohol was my drug of choice, right? But cocaine is done in dark bars, dark rooms, parties, nightlife. You know. Everybody sniffs Coke. Everybody sniffs Coke. I sniff Coke with the best of them. Yeah. Undercover detectives, firemen, you know, rich people to fucking junkies. I sniff Coke with everybody. Yeah. Fesses, cocaine parties like you wouldn't fucking believe. It's it's just that common. So that type of drug, it was like, you know, as. as, What was this, uh, 80s? 80s. How old do you think I am? Fuck so I'm, I'm gonna say
2: 98, so, 99. So I started.
0: <laughs> I, I, I started. Life. I started
1: drinking alcohol like at fourteen, and I took my first line of cocaine. at yes. twenty-one. Okay. So from twenty-one to thirty-four is was my run.
0: That first line, <laughs> I will say, I what happened? I, I For know, some people, I that's when, that's late.
1: It is late. Yeah, because y'all, I was raised by late. a fucking narcotics detective. Remember, oh. I grew up saying, "I'll never be that <laughs> dude."
0: Yeah, I'll yeah.
1: never be that dude. My father used to bring us around and we used to see the fuck it, it used to be. He used to call it the nod. Where when, when heroin was really heroin, they would literally nod, yeah, standing like, straight up and fold. And then sh- like then out of nowhere, stand straight up and walk into work. Like that was the old heroin. And I said, I'll never become a drug addict. I will never become a drug addict up until 21. So I covered all that shit up for 10 years with just using alcohol. But you were
2: still drinking like a fish though. Fish. Do you remember...
0: Yeah. The first time, where, when, how my did Coke? your first Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. I remember my first
2: uh-huh. meth one. Like, Hell how yeah. did that what Instantly, <laughs> you found the cure for all that ailed you in your life. That's
1: it. It was just like, this is it. Yo, I was 21 years old. I was down in Belmar. We had DJs. I was, I was hanging out with a, with a couple of kids that, that sold it and a, a bunch of girls. And we went back to their show house. And I remember going up the stairs to the left, and this one kid I just broken out a bag, and there was a couple of girls there. And they're like, "Yo, you, you, do you do blow?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do blow." And I was like, "Did it?" And then I just felt amazing. It was like it. It was like I stepped into this new. Holy fuck! This is what a, this is what this little powder could make me feel like. Then I realized that. You talk, you 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 get good with conversation. You get yeah. real social. Opened you
0: right up, huh? Yeah, Opened yeah. Him up. Then yeah. you could social drink butterfly.
1: more. You start drinking more. Now I'm like, yo, my partying could go on. Damn. So it started off with um one bag a weekend. I remember that. That's a fact. So I didn't just what, go uh, right. You said right, one bag a week. One bag a weekend.
2: And what's okay? And so, what's a bag like? A fifty bag. So okay. I used
1: to go. I used to get down the shore, and I used to get a fifty bag. Then I would go to DJs. Then we would we would drink, 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 and then I was like, when I really feel fucked up is when I took a little bump, and then that that gave me like another couple of hours.
2: Oh, you were drinking and doing coke. Yeah. So you were trying to be a wide awake drunk. Yeah, he was tuned and no, booted. <laughs> he was tuned <tooting> and booted. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was the beginning of it. It was like, Damn. yo, holy shit! And this is what I tell people: like, it makes you feel amazing. Like yeah. I, like if I clear my nostrils today, I still taste cocaine. Wow! Damn! Oh! And like I still taste cocaine. That's how much cocaine I did. I still taste it.
2: Did you? Is there any damage? Like I, I, I nah. Like I've heard of people like doing the whole tissue nah, like, through their nose. That's
1: not, to be honest with you, and and again, I I say this all the time, and you know, I don't know why. I mean, I I I feel blessed. Like there's a lot of things that that I didn't get part of addiction. Yeah. One of the things is I, I think that I mean I, I definitely have a fucked up septum. Um, but I never went to the ENT. I, I you know, if I got to blow my nose, I blow my nose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what I could tell you is, that I I always tried to 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 sniff good cocaine. Like I wasn't trying. Like I didn't. I wasn't going to just anybody to buy my coke from. You know, like even though I was lost and I was running for myself, and you know, I re I I did enjoy the high. Like I'm not gonna lie. There's a reason why I became who I became. But I also always had in the back of my head that, like, you know, I wasn't raised to be this guy you know like i'm I'm not desperate i'm i'm i I could afford my habit like I used to I supported my own habit, so i I chose where I got my drugs from, and I truly believed that because it was it had less cutting it that that's the reason why my nose didn't you know shatter apart
2: did, did, at what point did you hear where like uh I mean you're hiding it, but you're not aware at that time you're just living it at what point did you hit like damn, I'm a little in too deep like what so, I say when the drugs turned on me
1: yeah, so basically at twenty one is when I realized that, you know, I could sniff some Coke and I could drink some more and it becomes like I'm real social and everybody around was doing it. Like, so like 21, and like I said, just on the weekends, it was cool. And then it just became a comfort zone about um, every time. Then it became every weekend was a bag or two bags. And then it would be, um, then I started to work kind of a little bit by myself, a little more freedom of working. So then I would go out like to a Thursday night and I would just do one bag on the Thursday night and still make it to work. And then on the weekend, then go back out. So then that happened for a couple months, and then it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then that was it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I would regroup, but I still go into the gym. I'm still, you know, like just moving. Like I said, I, I was making. I, I, my father, from a child, my father showed me how to make money, so I'm not afraid to work, and I supported it. So, um, the more that more money I was making, um, then I bought an investment property, basically like. You know, I had some guys just come together, and somehow, some way, I got a house. Um,
2: do you think there's? A, do you believe in the concept of a functioning addict? Do you think that's a such thing? Oh,
1: I was a functioner. Okay, a hundred percent.
0: building houses.
1: Yeah, I used to. I used to. Uh, yeah. I mean, I
2: always say you could function for so long until it. It. it yeah, you know. I mean,
1: again, I drink to sniff, and I sniff to drink.
2: Hmm.
1: So I, so I got to the point where. I, when I first started, like I wouldn't be really sniffing on the job. Maybe if, like, at the end of the day, if we were just drinking beers, I, I'd do a couple of bumps. But, um, but yeah, it got to the point where, you know, years down the road, you're talking about being a function addict, man. Like I would literally wake up and start my bag with a fifty. my start my day with a fifty bag rip before I got in the shower. So I used to pretend that I was going outside to start my car, my truck. Well, I did. I used to start it. So, in the winter time, it was, I put the heat on. And in the summertime, I put the air conditioner on. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, I come out and I would, the night before, I make sure that I had a 50 bag and I would crush it up. And right before I took my shower, I ripped my first line. So, you think that there's active addiction there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, then from there, I and used how- to go, then I used to go to the liquor store that opened up at 9 a.m. So, instead of me drinking alcohol because everybody could smell it, I used to drink Schmier Damn. So I used to drink like forty Smirnoff ices a day, while sniffing. You know, in the beginning it wasn't like I got up to
0: Smirnoff ices. Yeah. A day.
2: Uh huh. Yep. Damn. Uh huh. I mean, I I mean, 40 smirno, you know, that's knowing you. Easy. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yeah,
0: three and a half, twelve packs.
1: Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, Fireball, that cinnamon shit. They used to sell those Alicia, little shooters.
0: He used to drink 40 I mean, again, don't
1: don't count me on 40, you know, direct 40, but yeah, a lot. A lot. Yeah, and there are 40 Schmirnoffs a day. I, but beers too. You know, think about it. I'm sitting in like, you know, like when, when then when there was times there was times throughout my addiction that, you know, people didn't I, I would openly be in the bar. You know what I'm saying? So addicted to alcohol. So I'd be in a bar, uh I don't know if you guys remember like Jaeger bombs.
0: Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Jaeger
1: <laughs> bombs and all of this shit, like all the the, the stupid. That's the
0: Jaeger with yeah. the Yeah, yeah. We
1: just start banging them down and then, then they got the things where you dropped the in the Guinness. What is that thing called? Uh uh oh. car bomb. Right? Car bomb, you drop like a shot or something uh-huh. in, in the Guinness. Boom, you'd be shooting those like m- m- chalk of milk tasting shit down your throat. Yeah. And that's all alcohol. Think about that. Then on top of that, beers and palm beers, upon beers, upon beers, and you know it. it that that was normal.
2: Did you and, you and did you graduate to seven days a week?
1: Oh, without a doubt.
2: Yeah, quick. It,
1: it, uh, I I ran for like I want to say. I want to say a good five years was at least five. Five years of my addiction was at least five days a week. Damn. Um, I want to say like eight months I did it Gosh. seven days. It like eight months before I said I got sober. Um, that's what I was doing seven days. Um, I would try to limit the amount of coke that I did in front of my ex. And like, you know, like on the weekends, if I had to do something, I don't know who knew what, but I didn't, you know, not too many people really pinned me out.
2: Did anybody, Uh, yeah, also I was going to ask, did anybody call you on it? Was there any kind of interventions? Yeah, no, there
1: there was actually a bullshit intervention. I mean, again, listen, you know, I'm not really here to speak about, you know, the family side of it, but, you know, I had a bullshit ass intervention and somebody was like, you know, if you don't go get help, then I'm not going to stand. I said, yo, I don't fucking need you beside me. You fucking kidding me? You haven't been beside me my whole life. You think an intervention is going to bring us together? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck out of here. Nobody <laughs> yeah, believed in me. Yeah. If you don't go away and get help, then, yeah, you, you didn't fuck. You weren't standing beside me all these years. Now all of a sudden you show up in an intervention? You think that your words mean anything to me? Yeah. I'm telling you that I got sober because I wanted to get sober. You showed up after I got sober to pretend that you care. Get out the fucking house.
0: That's the code. That's just. Yeah. That's. Truth in its raw it. form.
1: I was at my lowest, and you knew it. Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I tell people t- have a
0: hard time taking responsibility for that one right there, Bro. especially when, when when people get out of jail. Everybody but, think it's all good. Want to pull up? All yeah. this, man. Where the Look, Fuck man, were you? Yeah, say that.
1: You know, like and listen, there's
0: certain I'm giving people... people old prison addresses. Like, yeah, is where I live. because yeah. you you looking for the old me and it's the new me. Uh uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you you ain't privileged enough to get this.
1: The people that the people that were there for me. You know what I'm saying? I I took their words. I I, I listened to them and I told them what I was gonna do. You know, like like I said, I I did have some support beside me, but the, there was one person that that to go away, like. I need to go away. I'm telling you that I'm done. You don't even know what I was doing. You know nothing about me. Somebody called you to come sit with an intervention. You think that your words really mean something
2: to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, You know, like I I got questioned, you know, one time my brother-in-law had called me and he was like, yo, do you have a problem? And I'm like, I don't got a fucking problem. Quick. And he's like, yo, did you just or did you not sniff a 50 bag and walk into Lowe's? I said, Knows. I did a bump. <laughs> yeah. So check it.
0: Oh, he, hold on. <laughs> was he watching you? No. The parking lot? Yo, my oh, fucking, you got out the car? With my, you, dude. like, hold on. I, have, I, I have my. He said, do no, 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 it no. back real he quick. Said, Listen,
1: I had, I had, I had my, my best friend, Anthony, God rest his soul. Anthony, who was doing this shit with me, knew that I was way worse than everybody and called my brother-in-law on me. He told my brother-in-law that he was really concerned about me. This he was working huh? for me. He's working for me. He's my best friend, one of my best friends, working for me, sniffing blow with me all day long, and he called my brother-in-law because that's how bad the problem was.
2: Why? What did he? What, what? He saw something. If it's your best friend, he saw something that he, he was worried. Saw,
1: he, he, because, he
2: said, look, did you just knock a 50 piece back? And walked in alone. And walked in alone. Yeah, I
1: was bouncing all over the place. Bing, <laughs> yeah. bing, 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 730 in the morning. Yeah. What so, were you doing this? I was go. I was running. I, I ran. I, I had a contracting company. Oh yeah, not a company, but like I, I had jobs. I would take my own jobs just to make shit work. Mm. You know, but yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I, my father. Like one time, I got locked up for it, my father. You know, my father. The yeah, guy, what happened there? Like when you
2: get locked up, did, did?
1: I mean, I never got locked up in anything serious. Listen, I, again, go, right? I was. I, was, I was, I've been arrested. I, I was arrested three times. Went to the three Rikers? Three. no.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you play the call my dad? I got the debt.
1: No, to be honest with you, when I was growing up and I, when we would be brought into the and it was only for like bullshit. I mean, we would get right out with a desk appearance ticket, you know what I'm saying? But um, every time I got, I got, like, I never got a DWI. 13 years of active addiction, drinking and driving every day. Wow. I never got a DWI. Like, you know, like I said, maybe I am here for a reason. Absolutely. Because my run was pretty serious. I never went behind bars. I never got, like, you know, I, I kind of like, I was raised the right way. I was just in the wrong lane. You understand? It was always there. It was just yeah, beneath like my, all like, this I live going with on. morals. I live with, with respect. I was raised this way. You know what I'm saying? So- and even though I was an addict, I was just a lost boy. And I feel like that's a lot of addicts are just lost. And there's a lot of people out there that just don't understand them. They think that they understand an addict or or somebody who has uh, you know, every nowadays everything is all mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. So, so then fucking fix mental illness. Stop making excuses and get to work. Don't wait! Don't wait until the people are dead to claim mental illness and say there's there's a problem here and you're gonna fix it. You know, like at the end of the day, it's 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 a serious serious problem between addicts and mental illness.
0: So what 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 was something that really just you know everybody has to get to that breaking point. How long before you reach a point in your life where it was just you know some people they it takes Shit one major bad. thing yeah. is. Well, some people, you seem like you was just in it,
1: yeah, and you were just. Well, I was running, like I said, I would leave my house in the morning and I would get home. At, How many at blows did it have one, to take two. to you? I didn't. I didn't change my life because I got locked up. I mean, again, like I said, I got locked up on 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 just random. They well, they what would happen. They just randomly searched me, like you know, just like I mean, again, they probable cause could be anything in New York. Get out of the car.
0: What happened in your, in your life along the journey to where as you? You were, were you, like, this shit's got to yeah, stop. Like, this run, is I mean, again, it's play. just like
1: I kept on running into and in, like, you know, I was just running, running from my childhood shit that I'd never faced. And, you know, the deeper that you get, the more that you think that nobody's going to understand, the more and more that you deal with people and you're trying to speak. Like, I remember, like, my breaking point, my real breaking point was to the point where, you know, like I had gotten locked up three times, talked to my father three times one time my my ex had had just gone away somewhere, I got locked up that afternoon um just like honestly like just the disgust of 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 living that drug addict life when I shouldn't have been living it you know like it's it's disgusting that you have good people around you, like I said, sometimes people are just brought up in the wrong neighborhoods and and or the wrong family or whatever it is and like i was I was the complete opposite, like you know like I had all the opportunity in the world I had an amazing family at the time I had an amazing girlfriend. Um, nobody knew what my problems were like i never spoke about them so here i am like they just may think oh i had a couple of beers and what are they gonna do yell at me i'm a grown-ass working man you're gonna tell me i, I can't have a couple of beers after work Absolutely. so it got to the point where i was i was i was very distant from everybody um i would make every excuse on why not to see people um i slept on the couch for years because i would get home so late and be fucked up and she'd be like were you drinking again and i'm like so like when when she when I told her I was you know getting sober and things like and I really wasn't I used to eat um, I used to eat cloves of garlic before I got home so I tell her that I just went to I just went to Domino's and I got garlic bread to kill I, the alcohol the garlic was kill the alcohol smell damn that's
2: so, that is active addiction and yeah. uh, you know complete and when you said that too like you know you didn't grow up in it it just Clothes goes to show like addiction it does garlic. not discriminate. Hell no. It does not discriminate. No. Um, no matter what tax bracket, no matter what paint job you have. No. So no. when when was that? Take take us to the moment where you like you you surrendered. You threw it up, you said. The, I just I the got war the is over. Where,
1: yeah. I mean, again, I remember like, you know, my my uh I was I was living in, in many years of um physical and oral pain. Um, you know, my teeth were rotten and and, and so, like, when I was running with my teeth this whole time growing up and and finding comfort zones, what you need to understand is I found comfort zones that got me through the pain that I was in. And if you ever had a toothache, mm. you know what a toothache feels like? It's,
2: door- it's okay. un- unbearable, yeah.
1: Well, just understand that I had 17 teeth pulled out of my mouth. 17 teeth. Mm. Now, take your toothache times a time 17.
2: I thought he was going to say, take your tooth, they get up shove it up your ass. Shove it up your ass, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But for real, think about that. <laughs> yeah, I had damn. 17
1: teeth pulled. Damn. But mm. so think about what it takes to get that tooth pulled. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was like my, my teeth were, were gum lined. And I was, uh, and it would get, so like, I also like learning how to like stick and move and, and deal with situations. I learned how to keep that under any control. So if my teeth are rotting away. And as a kid, I'm 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 like living with this fucking embarrassment and this feeling inside of me, and I don't want to tell nobody. So I remember one time I was working at George Carapella's Tax Office, and this woman Sue was talking about her brother, and her brother was 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 an addict, and she said that his face had swelled up because of citrus. She's like, I tell him he has these his fucking teeth are fucked up, and he and he can't have citrus because it brings out abscesses. I said, really? Because I'm getting abscesses. Oh. So I didn't have citrus for 20 years of my life. 20 years I stopped. Wait, the citrus, citrus? Citrus will bring out an abscess. Wow. So so then when I would notice it because every time I would have galamad, you know, I, I was always in Little Italy. Galamad is, is very common in New York. Galamad with lemon. Within the, like a couple of days, right, I had an abscess. I know, you got a big
0: I, old smile. Some of that right? yeah. Man. yeah. yeah what, so
1: let us know yeah, what is galamad, yeah, so you, know, you,
2: you, you know what it is. Yeah. It? No.
1: So it's, it's fried galamad, and and you 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 sprinkle lemon on it. So, um, and just then within like a couple, like a day or two days or three days, I start to feel an abscess coming in. So what I started to do was instead of telling people like I have an abscess, I need to go to the dentist, I used to put a lollipop in my mouth and just have a lollipop in my mouth all day. I love lollipops. Meanwhile, I can't stand having fucking lollipops in my mouth, but I'm hiding the swellingness of it. And then I would hide, then I would go elsewhere, and I would start to rub it, right? To make it nice and soft, and then I would get home and I would pop an abscess in my mouth. Just so I didn't go see that dentist.
2: I mean, fuck, I, wow, that's great. I mean, I get it. I know, like, um, like, certain people have fears of hospitals, like in our case, we meet people that have had experiences with dogs at a young age, mm-hmm. who that fear is like transferred on until they're age. So, like when you're talking about it in that concept, like, I, like, yeah, I can totally get that. I,
1: I, I remember, I remember, just, I mean, I, I, just running from it, and 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 just then as it gets as it as it got worse, I thought less of myself. Um, my, my I, I just got to the point where. You know, I, I was just, I'll fix them if I get on sanitation or something like that. Like,
2: like if like, this happens, if everything this happens. If I'm picturing, happens. too, like, when you're telling that, like, just, like, a young man just operating out of just desperation.
1: Yeah, man, I and lost, and, like, again, nobody knew, like, I was, I wasn't like that kid who just sat in a room, like, I was out.
2: Right. Like, I
1: was always yeah. with, like, wherever I could be, I was out but I was just covered up, and, and I and I remember just making excuses for everything.
2: And how exhausting is that, to have to, with the lollipops, and to do... The it lollipops, like, like, and so then, how about this? So, many...
1: so years down the road, down the road, um, I had, so, when my father see me on the beach that day, and remember, he said, why wouldn't you tell me, and then I still didn't say anything, so he said, we're gonna get them fixed, so this is like when 15. you guys were playing catch. Yeah. Okay. So when we got back, my father made me a dentist appointment and he, and he came with me. And I had these three front teeth fixed.
2: What age is this right here? It's
1: 15, 16. Okay. So when I went in there, he took me in there to fix that. And then from there, I was supposed to go back to the appointments. And that's the last time that I went into the dentist. So from 11 to 15, I did nothing with a dentist. And then these my front three rotted. Well, they weren't fully rotted. They were side. On the sides, right?
2: So, what is it, like decay and decayed
1: the, on the side, okay. not like you know, like not the top, like on the side. So, like it would come yeah. in a little bit. Okay. So, uh, he's. We made an appointment, and a, and the dentist fixed those three. And I remember looking in the mirror and smiling. I was like, I could smile. Okay. Wow. So now I'm talking like I had to be twenty something years old. I was, you know, I was all coked out one after uh, one afternoon on my job site. And my ex called me about something, and I and I used to yell through my teeth, like I don't know if like you ever had a rage, and when you're fucking yelling, fucking motherfucker, yeah, you, yeah, so I'm fucking flipping out. I used to be very aggressive, like with my mouth, um, very abusive, man. I, listen, I hated myself, and that's what I tell people, you know, like if you're dealing with somebody that that hates themselves, you know, that's the problem. It's not you, like, that's the problem. That they hate themselves, so that, therefore they project all of that hate on everybody else, and I did it. I did it. I hated myself. So therefore everybody got the shit under the stick. And it was all about, I, you know, yeah. It was yeah. all because That's I important. hated myself. That's an important message. I didn't want to hear the truth. I did not want to <laughs> just accept anything. I hate myself and I'm gonna do everything to just just whatever makes me feel good. So when you hate yourself, you 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 feel good when you hate. You know, like I tell people, you gotta wake up every morning and and and, and build that daily hate. Unless you really Damn. hate somebody.
2: That takes a lot of energy. You got to
1: get up and that's, that, you've got to turn your mindset on onto, yo, know, fuck him or fuck this one or fuck that one. Like I wake up nowadays, I'm like, yo, life is good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life is good. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I don't give a fuck what's going on. Life is good. And if, and, and, and if I don't like something today, I make a choice to change it. And if I can't change it, I'll figure it the fuck out. You, sometimes you got to accept something, you know? But, um, when i used to yell and i used to scream i was full of hate and i used to push those fucking words out of my mouth and i remember i was building a stand Island oven's building and i blew the front cavity out oh, right? like in
2: some rage like
1: yeah my tooth not my tooth the filling flew out of my mouth oh so now instead of me going to the dentist and at this point it, that's an
2: exposed nerve right
1: yeah oh my god now most men or women that blow a cavity out of that mount, they'll go to the dentist and get it fixed. Uh, yeah. I went to CVS and I bought Dentex. And then I went to my Coke dealer's house, and I bought five bags.
2: I mean, who doesn't do that when you get a tooth? Just go to get Dentex and Coke. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: So, Hold on. Yeah.
1: so Dentex is a white filler for cavities. So if you're, if you're cover on the, the run, nerve. cover the exposed nerve. So I put it in. And then I used to smoke cigarettes and pull the nicotine into it to discolor it a little bit. And I preserved my front tooth for seven years. Seven years I preserved my front tooth. Oh, my God. Because I wouldn't, like, my, my molars are all shungad and, you know, gum-lined and falling out. And, and I was like, I, I could deal with all of that. My canine that I had ripped out, the back. Was, was rotted right. away. I could deal with that. On, and
2: the molars were... Sh- the
1: molars were... I was just already through that pain. I
2: need mean a translation on the Shroom God? God.
1: God is they're fucked up, you know? Okay, okay. Yeah, God. Yeah. But yeah, and then, uh, so I, I preserved my front tooth for seven years, bro. Because that was even... That was, like, I, I was like, Yo, I can't let this one go. How
2: old are at this point?
1: 20... Late 20s?
2: So we're talking like almost 15 years. You had a run. All... Yeah. Th- 15 years you, all behind
1: All behind all those mammoths You will have no teeth in your mouth by the age of 30 And then you know cocaine it, it goes in, you go up your nose And it does, it definitely decays your fucking teeth You know, there's no doubt That that cocaine will definitely play a part In bad teeth So, you know And then not only that, being a drug addict You're not brushing your teeth, you're not cleaning your teeth You yeah, don't care exactly. about your yeah. teeth yeah. You know. But the breaking point was like, I got to the point in my life Where um, you know, I started to regret a lot of things and, uh, one of the main things that I regret and I kind of just learned how to accept it and just take that memory and realize that you never want to be this person again. You understand? There's some regrets in life that you just have to learn to that this regret in life. You may consider it a regret and that's okay because you do regret doing it, but it's a fucking lesson and it's a lesson from you to learn from. That was your real life experience and it made you feel a certain which way to the point that you now regret it. But it's also a lesson learned. So I was, you know, naturally I'm a contractor and, and I, got, I landed, a, uh, ironically I landed uh, a community right at the corner of my parents' block. When we were growing up, we, I, I remember I got shot in the face with a BB gun. Uh, we used to ride dirt bikes in there, bikes, make jumps, we were little kid I used to steal all the wood and build tree houses back there. So, twenty um, something years later, swamplands are no longer swamplands. I didn't know if you guys know that, but they just filled things and start building houses everywhere. Yeah. Well, then my childhood playground was a swampland, and now they're building homes in it. Being a deck builder, I wound up getting in there to build all of the decks.
2: They gentrified the swamplands. Yeah, it's that- <laughs> compressed yeah, it, and that's yeah, it, yeah, now, yeah.
1: now it's for sale. So I remember, um, you know, this is when, uh, you know, my my addiction was was every day. And uh, I I used to leave my house, go right to my coke dealer. The first coke dealer of the morning was five for two, five bags for two hundred. Right off the highway, right back onto the highway, right onto my job site. So by nine o'clock, I'm already three bags deep because my lunchtime coke dealer is on his way. You know, I also had kids that worked for me that that you know always had blow and stuff like that. We, I, I surrounded myself with everybody that I needed. To support my habit yeah like every you know great like addict, everybody. Yeah, yeah absolutely they're drug addicts to the dealers to yeah. this they're like, they're like and, and again that's what i do now i do that shit now i surround myself with people that are going to fill my addiction i turn the negative addiction to a positive addiction mm-hmm. i you know like so the regret is that my father lived right down the block and my father was a breakfast man my father used to love breakfast so my father used to call me every single morning and ask me if I would join him for breakfast. You Want to go for breakfast? Want to go for breakfast? And I was already two, three bags deep. And I would, I would be, you know, I, I can't. I'm too busy, Dad. Meanwhile,
2: not, Like no appetite.
1: Like no appetite. Yeah. I, I'm busy, Dad. I'm busy. And I used to drive down the block and I used to look down this long, not a long road, but like, you know, the block in New York. And my father's house used to be right at the end of it. And my father would be sitting on the stoop. So now every time I drive down there, I look down there and still see my father sitting there. So, like, living, running from that for for so long and getting to the point that I was living with too much hate in me and too much regret. I was starting to regret everything. I was starting to lose the energy of life. I was starting to, you know, like, dig, like, get, my my depression was getting deeper and deeper to the point where, you know, like, I was actually getting out of the shower. I didn't sleep in my bed bed with my ex for years. I didn't see anybody. Like, I was running from everything. I used to get out of the shower and put a, a hoodie on to hide my body from myself. Um... And it just got to the point where I said, you know, if I don't do this, my father's going to get the call. And I said, I need to do this. And I said, um, you know, my ex didn't know that I had been on an eight-month hair because eight months before that, I got locked up, and I and I tried the sobriety thing. And it was going good, but then I went to go get a tattoo, and I sniffed one bag. Got this one tattoo, and, and I was able to do it. I came home. I just sat for a tattoo for four hours. Of course, my eyes are going to be fucked up. Nothing. She didn't catch on to anything. Nothing. And then the next day, I did that one bag again. And before you know it, I was up to like 30 bags a day. So that was for eight months. And then after that, I was like, yeah, I can't do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up dead. And um, I told myself, like, if I make it home today, you have to do what you got to do. And I remember I woke up. It was March twenty sixth, 2016 was Easter Sunday. So Easter Sunday was, that's why, like, I, I woke up. I was supposed to go to my sister's house. I called her. I said, I don't feel good. The night before that, or the 27th was Easter Sunday, whatever it was, um, my ex woke up in the morning. Like, I, I, I didn't even come home and tell my ex. I actually wrote to her in the driveway. And, and, you know, like, she had, she had like, looked at it, and she was like, I can't, like, I can't believe this. Don't come home or something like that. Like, naturally, what anybody would say. And I remember turning out of my driveway and going to go back out to go get, you know, more blow. And I was like, I got to do this. So I turned around, turned around. I, I came, I went back. And that day, I was actually drinking because I didn't have to drink Smirnoff Ice. That was my last day. I drank a lot all day long. I was in every single bar um, Hennessy, Fireball, this bomb, that bomb, eight balls beyond belief.
2: And you're telling yourself, because this I'm, is my I'm last, home and I'm, that's my, this, last... my last
1: day. And if I make it home. And the next morning, I woke up and it was, I was in a dark apartment. And I uh, I went on to social media and I, I typed in sober and I, and I, and I the first page that I saw was sober evolution. It was a guy named um, Austin, and uh, I asked him for some words, and he gave me words. And uh, you know we're not we're not close close, but you know it's definitely a man who 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 he's definitely a man who I try to be nowadays, mm. like. You know, he kept it real with me. He told me, find motivation, find this, find that. Like, you know, guided me. Two different lifestyles, two completely different people. He was, you know, an addict, but, you know, just different addictions, different lifestyles and different everything. But he told me what I needed to do, and I, I, did, I did find motivation to uh, to pull me out of a dark spot. Uh, William King Hollis has a speech that's called Legacy. That was a speech that changed my life. If you listen to Legacy today... It's the life that I live today. Who's it by? William King Hollis. Okay. William King Hollis, like I you know, we 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 we've worked together before. He's a good dude. His story is serious. You know, like he's he's an international known speaker. Uh and and he speaks from experience, from being traumatized as a child. You know, I think his mother died in a crack house in front of him. Um, you know, he was suicidal on the side of a gas station, wrote a speech. Went in and, and, you know, he started to use his pain to, to spread awareness, and it, and it
2: worked. How hard was it rebuilding your life at this point?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, rebuilding my life, um, I still haven't rebuilt my life, bro. you still building. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think that I have 10% of my personal life rebuilt. I started a mission before I rebuilt myself.
2: Damn. And that's coming from somebody who has an amazing, successful life. Where did the dogs come into play?
1: So what happened was?
2: Pit bulls and addicts.
1: So what happened was, damn pit bull. No. <laughs> um, so when I got sober, I got sober on March 26, 2016. I started to work beside Husky House in New Jersey and Goats of Anarchy. Um, I started to build for them up there. As, as you know, I'm a creative builder and I, I love to create. Uh, Leanne, welcomed to me. I told her my story. She told me that I, I could, you know, I got a shit, place. Goats? yeah, goats of anarchy, need goat rescue. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yo, it's amazing. It's no, really amazing. Like wow. these little goats are whipping around, like. And do you and have again, dogs
2: as kids too. Like, was there I, already? I, listen,
1: a... as a kid, yeah.
2: we had dogs. Oh man, we're not just gonna pass
0: over You're goats of anarchy. Of, uh, anarchy goat.
1: Yeah, goats of anarchy.
0: So you said goats are whipping around.
1: Yeah, whipping around on like, you know, like she takes farm animals that are special needs and she gives them an opportunity.
0: Oh, so it's like goats with wheelchairs? Like... Goats
1: in wheelchairs Husky. and three legged and two legged and you know, she just oh. she creates an opportunity for the for the yeah. That's just a special kind of person. You can go check right? it out. Yeah, that's a special kind of person. Go check it out. Yeah, but so I got to see I got to see behind the scenes of like I promote real rescue. Like Husky House is real rescue. Um, goats of anarchy is real sanctuary. So when I started to work with, with these two things, and, and as you guys know, as changed men with you know, we, we, our mindset, like we have to, we have to be in control of it. Like, you know, like we, we are too used to running. We are too used to turning into certain things. Um, at the end of the day, like we, as men or women or chain, as a changed mind, you have to fill all of that or else you're going to end up right where the fuck you started and um, I started to put a little bit of energy. And I started to find like I've I found a lot of comfort. I found like looking into like these cows' eyes and like these goats' eyes and these big ass animals. These horses are happy to see me, and you know I just started to feel at home. So in the sanctuary life, and then um, we walked into Husky House on on July fourth, two thousand sixteen, and I was two months sober, and um, I seen a, a German Shepherd puppy that like uh, my ex had asked me if we could foster her previously. And I was like, nah, you know, I'm just getting sober. If something happens, I can't do it. And I remember walking in on the 4th of July because, you know, I don't need to party on on this holiday. I'm gonna go and help the dogs or whatever. And I showed up and I walk into a back room, my Husky house and all these little crazy German shepherds are all going crazy. there trying to jump over. And this little dog started to like waddle sideways and like look at me. And I was okay. like, is that the one? And she was like, "Yeah." I said, "You know what? I'll give that dog the best four months." And uh, that dog changed my entire life. I gave that dog almost seven years. I just okay. lost her on February twenty fourth. She took her last breath. Okay. So they gave her six months, and we gave her almost seven years.
2: What did that dog do for you?
1: To be honest with you, at the darkest point of my life was, you know, I mean, I I feel like. I always say like dark points in your life and it's like people just don't understand like when when you're rebuilding everything and you fucked up everything and like it's very hard that when you're going through a difficult time that everything doesn't take its toll on you. Like everything starts coming back. You know, like when when your mind is off, it's like everything starts coming up and you start thinking about one thing and you start like naturally we we, we drive ourselves into deeper depressions from overthinking about everything. Yeah, (laughs) You know, like, it's like, this is just one little problem in your life. And, you know, like these, so what this dog did for me was she showed me what it was to, she showed me what it was to live for something beside myself and to get high. So, like, I started to, I started to come home after work to take care of her. I remember, like, four days into our life and our journey together, she started to uh, have a seizure. And I was looking at this dog and, and she had, like, you know, like, she had like zero opportunity. She was bouncing off the floor. She was born with subbiotic stenosis, and subbiotic stenosis is, is a heart condition. And they told us from the beginning that her heart is going to explode. It's just going to happen.
2: It's inevitable.
1: Yeah. 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 So her being so tiny and her heart working so much that it was causing her to have a seizure and convulse. And I remember sitting outside on my balcony, and, and I had in my things. I have a picture of it and everything, and I'm like, you can't leave me yet. You, I, you cannot leave me. I only had this dog a couple of days, and you know she didn't leave me. Mm-hmm. And so she, she opened up the a whole new world. What it was to live for something that appreciated. You know, like I didn't appreciate myself. I didn't appreciate nobody. I didn't love myself. I, you know, I lived that that addict life for for many years of my life, and I lost, I lost all emotions. I lost all cares in the world. All I cared about was getting high and running from my problems instead of fixing my problems. That dog showed me to get home. So she changed my entire life. And then she just started, then then from Honey, I started to, you know, like, really care about, you know, like, taking care of Goat of Anarchy. Like, it just became like, like, I'm saving this dog, and this dog is, is like, putting this new life into me. You know, I, I started to, you know, really get more involved with Goat of Anarchy. And then I started to... Uh, Really, like I just started to yeah, really enjoy that part.
0: She,
2: she said, "This dog is putting new life into me."
1: Yeah, she that gave goosebumps. me new life, bro. What you
0: remember?
2: We know. Yeah, we know well. I mean, yeah, I, uh, yeah the
1: dog. I never felt that way. Never felt that way. And mm. you know, like I had people that that would be like, "What are you doing this for? Are you crazy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's just the reason. I don't know why." No, yeah, I'm There's crazy. Yeah, it, oh. you know, like this is. And again, I didn't even know it was my calling. Didn't even know it. I was following it. I just let my I let I let this this feeling inside of me. I said, "Fuck it!" I give this dog the best the best four months. What do I got to lose? And that dog gave me almost seven years, bro.
2: Yeah, my that's mine was a German Shepherd too. My Flynn, Flynn, my German Shepherd, same thing, like changed my life.
1: So then, so then after I, I rescued her, then you know, like I, I did a I, I ran into a backyard breeder. I took all his dogs. I told him you are fucking beat. Um, then people like reaching out to me and I was like, you know, I remember coming home to my ex and saying like, yo, we're starting a rescue. It's called no more pain. And she was like, let's go. Like my ex was like, just down with it. So we started no more pain rescue. And, um, we got a call about, uh, uh, an abandoned pit bull that was upset up, up in an attic that was left for however many days. And, you know, like they were selling a house. Uh, there was a, that there was tenants downstairs that happened to be uh, very red. It was in the Bronx. So they were, they were selling the house, and the dog had to get her, so the dog was going to ACC. So they told me at the time, they said, it's just a small pit bull, a little white pit bull, really pretty. That dog had, had been starved and abused and left in a cage. And uh, so I said, I'm going to go get it. You know, I'm a rescuer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, let me go. Now, I'm going into the Bronx, and my my ex's girl, what, m- like uh, mother is saying, like, what are you doing? Are crazy? And she's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. So, like, I'm on the way to into the Bronx, and if you don't know about the Bronx in New York, you could just go to YouTube and type in the Bronx and see what it's about. Yeah, yeah. I'm showing, I'm like, yo, you know, flip open a knife, and she's like, I'm like, this is what you do. I'm like, yo, if they get close enough, you just start stabbing. You just start stabbing. We'll, we'll answer questions later. Like, I said, here's a machete. Here's a baseball bat. Like I said, yo, you just gotta be ready. These, like they're gonna they, like if this is whatever this is, if it goes down, we're in the Bronx. It's that serious. Understand that. And like, yo, she was really about it. She was like, she was scared, but she was like, yo, we're gonna go get a dog. And I was like, that's my intention. Like, listen, I'll do all the speaking I have to. Like, I, I, I'm verified in the hood. Like, I know how to speak to the hood. I'm not here. I don't give a fuck who you're banging with. I don't give a fuck about it. nothing besides that door. And to this day, that's how I. That's how I. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That's how I still my my approach. Like, listen, I'm not here for you. This is nothing per- This is about that door. This is who I am and this is what the fuck I do. I don't give a fuck who you roll with. So, but that that's the mentality. That's how I live my life. You understand? But now I'm here to do a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. So it's real easy for me to adjust my lifestyle. Yeah,
2: it's the same. You're using the same energy. Same,
1: the same energy that I used to be to be a scumbag is the same energy that I'm here to rescue this dog. When we pull up, they gave me the wrong address first. So I get sent to a strip club. I'm like, yo, this is a fucking setup. They're trying to rob me or something. So it was like whatever it was, West 12th Street or 12th Drive, or whatever it was, like same number yeah. but different, like you know. So we get the right address, we pull up, and there's a party going on downstairs. It's very red. So here's a white guy, a white dude in a dark neighborhood with a red party going on with a little girl from Jersey. Here to rescue a pit bull.
2: Can you imagine <laughs> that's a bad recipe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so
1: I'm like, fuck. Yeah. So I'm knocking on the door and they ain't doing nothing. And all of a sudden they open the door. I was like, yo, I'm here for the dog. I got a baseball bat in my hand. I, I like, you know, and they're like, I said, I'm here for the dog. And they were like, he's upstairs. I said, All right, so who's coming? And they're like, nah, we ain't going upstairs. Fuck that. I said, yo, I ain't going upstairs. So then one guy comes out, and he's like, nah, 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 he's cool people. And then everybody started like, you know, all right, cool, yo. What do you got? What do you want to do, do, do? I said, listen, I'm just here to rescue the dog. I heard it. There's a little white people. He's like, nah, there ain't no little white people. He's like, that dog is crazy upstairs. he has been up there going crazy. I said, what happened? He said, yo, that motherfucker's a molester. He, he Supposedly what they said was that the guy w- was picked up for molesting the child. And when he was picked up, the, 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 the woman and her daughter picked up and left. So when you look through this door... The TV's still on. The lights are on. Everything is on. They just picked up and bounced. I'm like, I'm yeah. not going through that door. <laughs> stupid?
2: Yeah, yeah, think yeah. think I
1: was born young? I may be white, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> so I was like, yo, you kicked that door open. I'll rescue this dog, but kick that door open. And he kicked the door open, and he ran down the stairs. The dog was in the attic. So now I get in there, and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Nah, it's just me and, and somebody who I don't know. In the middle of the Bronx, and now I'm in the upper floor, upper fire escape. That's That that was to the second floor, like a fire escape type of stair. Yeah, yeah. And now this dog is now on another door to go upstairs. So I was like, yo, I'm not taking that door, bro. I don't know who the fuck's behind that door. I said, open that door, and, and I'll do the rest. So I opened the door, and the door came flying. This was Aria. The... Took me about forty-five minutes to get a slip lead over her neck. And uh
2: Scared to death.
1: Scared to death. I had no no clue about rescue. I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. You know, I, I just thought I was going to rescue a dog. Um, but I just I did I did the right approach and it's like, yo, I'm gonna treat you the same way you're gonna treat me. If you're gonna come at me, I'm gonna come at you. And that's what I've learned in, in with dogs is that if you if they understand that you're there to help them, Chances are they're going to let you help them. And I'm, I say that because I'm a rescuer and I really rescue abuse and neglect and I'm yet to have a serious problem. Every dog I went to go get, I got. What's the reason for that? It's because I'm there for the right reason. Yeah, and, you're a And those animals know it. So with that and with my personal success to this day of rescuing animals, it's like I don't need humans to agree with me or like me. I just need here I'm rescuing. It's not my job. So understand. The rest of it's gonna come, they're gonna love you or hate you, they're gonna support you, they're gonna judge you, they're gonna do everything they're gonna do is based upon their opinion.
0: I would be expecting to see that meme somewhere on Instagram later on in today. Which one? Somebody all the all the dog lovers, animal lovers out there. I don't need the humans to respect me. I don't. I just need I don't I want who I'm there to rescue. I'm just here for the I'm for the dogs. Yeah.
1: I'm here for the dogs and you know, like rescue is rescue, but like not only do I rescue these dogs, I rescue these dogs that are broken. And I was broken. And I know that I was able to rise above because of opportunity that I built for myself. And if I could build an opportunity for myself, I could build an opportunity for a broken dog. And that's what I.
0: So get on, get, because you have insight, more insight than any person. And I know you will speak on it. There's a dark cloud over the, the rescue world. Well, not, well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. With the, what is the difference between a person having a rescue going into it with a good intention and the best intention, and then a person that goes into the, that goes into the uh, rescue world for gain, notoriety, for profit, or you have some people that they go into it to get dogs and it turns into a complete. Hoarding situation.
1: It's just the real and the fake. <laughs> There's a difference between the real ones and the fake ones. Right. So what I truly believe is that social media has made rescue more about the story than about the dog. If everybody was concerned about a rescued dog, then why the fuck is there dogs in shelters? Then why none of these people taking dogs home and, and putting the cages up in their house to, to get that dog into safety. You know, why are people not building small safe havens for these dogs? The truth of the matter is that they don't want to do the work. A life is 24-7, 365, right? Yeah. So that means that that dog that you rescue has to be taken care of 24-7, 365. It ain't about you no more.
2: And when you say, okay, on social media, the they're presented as how?
1: They're presenters that, that they rescue the
2: dogs. And they, so, when, when you, like, if you want to take a dog that's maybe running straight and you drop it off at a shelter and you leave, does that make you a rescuer? No. No. I, yeah.
1: No, but that, no. that's just... That, I, no, that's I, somebody, I, that, yeah,
2: that's what I'm...
1: That right there was just a good citizen who's doing the right thing for the animal. You know, not all shelters are bad. Just the shelter system is broken. The, the, if, if the shelter systems were ran correctly... Which I do have a, I, you know, like, this, like, like I said, I don't, I don't work with many rescues and I don't work with many shelter systems. There's a reason for it. It's not ran properly. because the same yeah. way that the prison system ain't fucking ran properly. Exactly, yeah. You take all of these motherfuckers that have a fucked up mind, it's mainly to do with your mind and everything that you've been through. Trauma, abuse, neglect. You know, like we abuse ourselves, we neglect ourselves because of trauma that we have caused whether it's with drugs, with violence, whatever it is, it's just as all comes back to trauma of the brain and the mind making you feel less of a person and everything that goes with it. There's no way that these dogs and these animals are going to thrive in a broken system. The same way that men and women that are incarcerated are just left for dead and judged because their life don't matter.
2: And that's, that's a trip. Like when you said too, because like, an arrest is made, you're dropped off to the prison system and just left. You know, there, there's no type of rehabilitation. There's nothing constructive going on there. And it's the same with rescue. Like, you're not going to pick a dog up off the streets, drop it off the shelter, and leave. Like, you got to see it through. Like, yeah, well, like how I see you do that, with that, these animals. That,
1: I just feel like the rescue community, like I said, everybody does it. The main part of, of the rescue nowadays is that they rescue for the story, to get the clout, to get the views, to get the, the, the donations. Um... It's more about the rescue story than about the dog, you know. Like there are there are amazing dogs sitting in shelters that nobody will help. That dog goes on the euthanasia list. All of a sudden, they have five thousand people sharing that dog, and four thousand people want to open their door, their home to the dog. But meanwhile, nobody goes and gets that dog. Why does it have to get that big?
2: That reminds me of like Heidi. Like we used to get so many. Like I, I would hundreds of messages. I would have took Heidi. I'll take Heidi, but
1: no, but what? But?
2: Yeah. But. I but, would take Heidi, but she but, was
0: our longest resident. You know, and like,
2: millions of views—like millions of people yeah. had seen her.
0: The dog have to, to go get a freaking photo shoot. Yeah, put a photo shoot, a, a professional, fucking. Yeah, the dog adopted.
2: And now I got why? a famous dog. Yeah, why? Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I, and again, like I said, I support Foster-based rescues. You know, like Zach runs a Foster program. Um, but you know, Carla and Erica, and you know, there are there are uh, there are amazing Foster groups out there that actually do the work and when i say doing the work in foster means pick up your dogs and make sure that your dogs are okay make sure that 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 the people that have your dogs in foster are taken care of make sure that if your dog something happens to your dog in foster there is no questions asked this is the hospital that you bring my dog to no questions asked okay you stand beside your dog and you appreciate the family that opened up their home there's way too many forces out there they don't even see their dogs they get a dog brought you have local dogs sitting in shelters, and you're rescuing from down south. What is the problem? If you do no work, if you do zero work in your local areas, why the fuck are you bringing other dogs in from other areas? Worry about yours. You understand? The south has puppies. Big fucking deal. I got a lot of adult dogs that I rescue from New York. Hands on, they come into my house. No, I hit, my dogs come to me before they hit the shelter. I don't want my dogs to go into that shelter system. I'll take that burden on. People wait till dogs get seen, vetted, and neutered in order to consider taking that dog into safety. Yeah. I take that motherfucker right off the street. I don't know nothing about this fucking dog. We're gonna figure it out. Damn. We're gonna figure it out. You know, and at the end of the day, like I said, I I I do have respect for people that are in force and that 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 work with forces, but I just have very little respect for the for the for the people out there that actually put the work in, and the reason why I can't respect it that much is because I don't see it that much. A professional, professionally edited video or picture is not real. Yes. Show us the dogs' rehabilitation after being rescued. Show the people that this is the dog that came in, and this is our dog now, and he's available for adoption. Show them what, that that I am I am the face of Pippos and addicts, and I'm the one who does this. Zach is the man of Molly Mutt, and he's the one who does that. This is what we do, and guys like us have to struggle. I mean, I struggle a lot more than him, but he is—he's years, years advanced. Like, you know, like I—we—we we both came in this with the right thing. Zach was was on his deathbed; I was on my death. We had no opportunities, and we built our own, using what works for us. And that's what we need to show people: rescuing animals is—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's it's not easy. But way too many people want to think that they play rescue if they share a dog on social media or they do this like, oh, you know, like, and again, it's nice that you're helping, you're helping get their awareness. But what are you really doing for that animal? Open up, open up your garage, go get a crate. I tell people all the time, I can't take that dog right now. But if you want, I will personally come and bring you a crate,
0: food, vetting this. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. What's the response? I can't. I can't. Why? I was in a South Central, you know, I rescued Seb- Sebastian and got him foster and all that. Well, not rescued, but did some, some help with that, We get uh, adopted. And then, uh, I was walking around over there, it was around 5th Avenue, 6th Avenue you know, in South Central, Fort Inglewood. And I'm like, um, people are stopping, like, man, where'd you get that dog? Like, that's a beautiful dog, look at that pit, like he's, you know, he's built, he's chopped, ripped and all that. And they're looking like, man, what breeder? I was like, like, came from the shelter. And then another thing that that goes to the social media platforms, they're like, man, are you a trainer? I'm like, yeah. Like, can I get some training? I was like, what, Do you don't see trainers around? or you getting anybody? It's like, it's two things. They say the main thing is you see it's trainers stuck. on social media, but you don't see them in the hood because, one, they're too expensive. They can't be reasonable to the people that are there, not really serving the community. And, two, they're afraid to go there. But they can post and, oh, I'm woke, I'm this, I'm that, and all that type of stuff. But you're not really out there, like yeah. Paul Squad, Danny, you know, and Watts Project, and all them. They really out there, really they're, out there. They're doing that, yeah, really out there. Oh, you don't know smoke. Supposed- yeah, <clears throat>
2: um,
1: the rescue world, like I said, it's just a lot of people. Like I, I just believe, like you know, like my way of rescue is 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 not often seen. I like to, uh, you know, I I I. I seen everything I needed to see when I was just learning who I was and I knowing I was raised like, I, I call my mission. Now it's, it's, I say that I got a family beside me. I don't say I got supporters. I don't say I got, I built a family, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I, and I have realized, you know, the rescue world, it may, it may be a little bit backwards and, and, you know, like it may be something that I truly don't want to be. You know, like I, I, the politics and 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 the rules and regulations of rescue. It's like where does this come from? You know, in rescue, it's it's to, my way of rescue is to take that dog out of harm's way, and to create a future for that dog. So I I do the best that I could do to learn every everything about the dog that I can. Some dogs are adoptable. Some dogs will stay with me forever. And um, you know, I try to set the dog up and also the human. Because not every dog that goes home is that perfect dog, and if you have a human that understands it now, that, now, now they create an opportunity for the dog. And what they're not even realizing is that it's actually the best thing that you've probably done with yourself for quite some time. You <laughs> took on a problem and a Damn. challenge, yeah, and it's gonna work for you. Trust me. Well, you know, like I use my dogs to 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 do this at Freedom Home, and that's the reason why I love what I do. You know, like I, I broken people come into me, and. If they're there for the right reasons, they ain't broken for too long. Keeping them is a whole nother ball game. But I I I showed them how to rise and I showed them what life's about. And I just use broken animals that have now rose above and live a certain which way. So my dogs bring that happiness and my dogs bring that thankfulness and my dogs, you know, want to love you because that's what they're used to. And the dogs that come in, you know, like a decompression and, and, and an adjustment is doesn't last for too long because they just keep on looking around these dogs are just come in there and they're like what is this? Why are these dogs so happy? Why is why is this music playing? Why are the waterfalls playing? Why do they want to walk me? Why are these people feeding me? Why? Why am I sleeping on a uh, like again I I we we use fabric softener, we use dryer sheets, like my 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 dogs sleep as if they were sleeping in a home. So that's why I said that I built my own family and there's a difference between a house and a home. And uh, one thing in life that I did realize along this whole journey is that when I when I stopped really giving a fuck what anybody had to say and I and I said, This is this is my life. The the one thing that I told myself is that I no longer want to be a doormat for a home that I'm not welcoming. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference between a house and a home. A house is somewhere where you just go, you come and you go. A home is built with love and that's how i started to to really build this this part of it like where i have so many dogs that live with the same my dogs live with the same the same amount of love that every single buddy's home dog lived my dogs that that are, are all abused neglected defeated by a human they all while they're waiting for their forever homes they all get that feeling you know and how many
2: dogs do you have at um, Pitbulls and Addicts right now? A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, each individual one is, is treated. And, I got,
1: and again, like I said, I didn't I didn't think that it was going to skyrocket the way it did, but when I tell you that I rescued, I'm about it. That's what I do. Um, I've been building to accommodate my dogs. I've expanded every single which way. I make adjustments because you know what? Those dogs didn't do that to themselves. And what I did to myself, I said that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue abused and neglected dogs hands on. I don't I could find a million dogs that need me. You understand? I could go right on the internet. I could be a hero and, and bring in 55 dogs from other you know states or other shelters or dogs with this and that. like
2: But you'd be walking past dogs in your own area. I get a
1: phone call and I show up.
2: Yeah. No, I see. I see. You know, I like mean- and
1: that and that's the reason why I don't respect a lot of rescue. You know like I I just I I cannot stand when certain things surface the internet and they put somebody else's they put somebody else's life at risk because they want to play hero. Yeah. They put out this sad story about, oh, this dog is tied up in this area, but this area is a known gang area. That is that dog is in the in the front yards of a gang member's house. You're not gonna have a little white girl run up to that house and try to get that dog into safety. You're putting people in harm's way. If you're really about rescuing that dog, why the fuck are you posting on the internet? Why aren't you showing up about it? Why? So when something happens and and every single time it happens, they always tag in people. Like I said, I do show up. If I'm going to go there, my approach is way different. I just, I just broke an organized ring. I just did it because of the way I present myself. I'm not afraid to go and get a dog, but that dog needs to be abused. That dog must be neglected. Just because he's a pit bull tied up in front of a house that you don't like the people that live in the house, that doesn't mean that that dog is in harm's way. Abuse and neglect is abuse and neglect. Worry about your damn self. But social media, they take a picture, they put it on, it goes fucking crazy because that's the story. You understand this, right? Yeah. The rescue story. This is
2: important right here. You're putting
1: yeah. somebody's life at risk. You, you Go get this dog from the middle of Compton And this guy, you know, you're going to walk into his property, a little fucking rescuer that's never once been in any real situation. You're going to show up. They won't show up. So what do they do? They put a cry on social media, and then it's just nonstop. You know what I'm saying? Think about somebody that doesn't like the way that you treat your animal. Right? And again, you know what abuse and neglect is. We're not going to, there's a fine line. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Any grown-ass person could tell you that the dog, just because you you're, you become so soft nowadays, your opin- that's your opinion. An animal needs shelter, food, and water. That's it. Besides that, you can't say nothing. Animals are considered property. But because your opinion and you judge everybody, you don't like the way that a dog is taken care of. So therefore, you expose it like it's really a problem, yeah. and you're creating a fucking problem. A guy like me shows up. I show up. I went to a man's house that it was him and his wife. They had somebody who had it out for them. She kept on putting it out there. I show up. The guy's crying. They just lost a mom. Please stop bothering us, you know, because there's somebody in the community. Kept on walking by and heard a little barking dog barking behind it. Well, Like a, a people dog.
0: that have dogs at mechanic shops.
1: People that, like, for, what? why? The dog is, 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 is. Dealing with people all day long. Everybody Who gives a here, fucking? I'll I mean, sleep Ray, in a tire. Ray,
0: Ray's met. He's met Onyx at the mechanic shop. Yeah. F- fuck out of here. You have all these people that show up. Hey, that dog. You know, I'll take that dog off your hands. Yeah, and then, the the and, and
1: then do what with it? I'll take
0: that dog and then do what with it? Yeah. Can we yeah. do this? With oh, the dog? let's go put it. Let's people just go put the they, dog in a cage and say that we saved the Hispanic dog. Dudes, they see a bunch of Hispanic dudes and they think, oh, the dog's unsafe in the mechanic shop and all this. Little do they know? This dog has seven men they break their neck to play with this dog. I'm talking about, bro, they're bringing in full bone marrow, half-cut bones uh-huh. like, to feed the dog. Like, but somebody's like, opinion. But a person day, just yeah. walks by and like, oh. Yeah.
1: yeah, but somebody's opinion of that is that that's what the world goes after. Rescue song, is right? rescue. Look,
0: like, look at the Dalmatian.
1: What does Dalmatian know for being? Speaking of Dalmatians, that's how. Listen to me. That's how I broke. I broke that ring. I got a message, a picture of four Dalmatians. Uh, three Dalmatians and two puppies. I said, I'm on my way. I had no clue cool what the fuck I was doing with five dogs. My friends, they bought the house. There's construction company. They went in there. They locked the door. Next thing you know, a guy shows up. He demands a puppy. He gives him a puppy. Calls me. I'm on my way. I get there. I call two different people to come with me. Um, I get there. I come walking. Now it's cold. It's cold out. And uh, I I pull up to the house and I see that there's a a six foot plus guy, you know, nice build Jamaican. Now, you know what Jamaican six foot 200 plus man looks like, okay? (laughs) In a gray sweatsuit, sneakers tied. It's cold out too. His sneakers are tied. He's got a sweatsuit on, no jacket standing there. Got another one next to him, smaller guy, black. He's got uh, a North Face jacket on with the high, with the high pockets and the hood. Okay. He's got the hood on like this, standing right next to him. As I pull as I walk up, now I have my friend Danny there who's a Marine, the Kid Vinny there, and the two workers that were there. So we had every and there was females there too with them. So I pull up and I'm like, Yo, what's up? I said, what's going on, everybody? i think thinking that everybody's sitting there waiting for me to. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, we were... what's up? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Yo, these dogs don't need to be rescued. And I looked at him and I was like, What? What do you mean these dogs don't need to be rescued, bro? I said, You do you see the living conditions these dogs are living in? You see this fucking house? What are you talking about? They don't need to be rescued.
0: <laughs> you see this house?
1: He's like, Nah, nah, nah. They don't need to be rescued. I said, All right. I said, let me break it down to you. I said, I'm not your normal rescuer. I said, listen, yeah, yeah. I, I rescue abuse and neglect. I said, I received a picture that there's dogs in there that need me. We're going to go through the door. You're going to come with me. And if those dogs need help, I'm going to help them. If you tell me that these dogs don't need rescuing, show me that there's healthy dogs behind that door. He's like, nah, my man just got locked up and, you know, they, they, whatever. I said, I don't care about that. I'm not here to steal your dogs. If they're in good shape and they're your dogs, then then be good. You're good. Just get them out of here. Like, they, the, the house is sold. I said, but if not, I need the help. So he's like, yo, you could take all of them besides the two puppies. So I was like, so then the guy was like, yo, one of the puppies was picked up. Next thing you know, they're all on their phone. You took a fucking dog, blah, 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 blah. Uh, a crossover car, the crossover, like the little minivan car, comes flying up, no headlights on, some guy hops out, yo, give me the female, but no, no, that was, that was after we got the dogs out, so then he make a long story short, they're on the phone about the puppy, and they're like, yo, you got the dog, you got the dog, you know, whatever, whatever, and I'm like, yo, listen, I'm not, so there's only one puppy there, I said, like, he's like, yeah, we want, he, he wants the puppy, He this, this is his, I said, your puppy, did you see your puppy, I said, your puppy is sick, he needs like immediate, he's like, Nah, nah, nah. You know, like, I said, what are you going to do? You going to sell it? So he's like, uh, I said, bro, I said, I cut you the deal for the two puppies, two for five. I said, I'll give you 250 I said, what? You know, and he's like, nah, we just sold one on the street for eight fifty. I said, I'll give you 250 and let me take this dog to the vet, bro. What do you think? You're just going to sell a sick dog? And he was like, nah. And the other dude was like, bro, let's, he's a rescue, bro. Let's, let this kid take this dog. The dog needs help. Oh, his
2: boy was telling him. Yeah. Okay. The, okay.
1: the, 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 the big one. That, that, you know, because I told him, that, like I said, at the end of the day, like you open us up, we're all going to bleed red. I don't give a fuck who you are. What, like, I'm here to rescue dogs. Like, and then he was like, yo, he's like, you know, if your approach was a little bit different, you wouldn't have been leaving with these. But he's like, yo, I respect you, man. He's like, you could have the dogs. So then we went in and I was like, look at these dogs. Are, look how these dogs are living. Like, yo, it, 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 I have a video of it. The most disgusting thing that I've ever been through. I pulled three Dalmatians and a, one puppy out. Um, Roly, who is one, one of my boys, he was born with inverted eyelids. So he just had the surgery to fix that. But, but all of the, all of the dogs, they, they, uh, they're all thriving. They all were adopted. And, you know, like, it's just really amazing to, to, to like, be part of the Dalmatian. Like he just said, what well, a Dalmatian is fireman and this and that. Like, I felt like I rescued a Disney movie. Yeah. And now, like I said, Roly will now work beside me on this mission. Uh, Roly's a lover Like I'm raising him The right way to, to be like a companion dog But because he's so He has He has brown spots Yeah that's what I'm He's saying. a he's Liverpool
0: He's like He's like chocolate white Yeah Chocolate
1: spot. So his personality is cool And it's like He comes from a story Of abuse and neglect And you know Like it's just amazing On how the, the whole mission Is coming together But you know Like at the end of the day You talk about like You know like I got that call And I show up So that just goes to show you What real rescue is Like you know, like that. I, I just think that social media people just want to throw it out there and pretend like they play part in rescue, and which is cool. If you think that that's rescuing, I mean, I don't know who am I to judge you. But you ain't gonna stand next to me and say to you rescue when you never once went and took an animal out of harm's
2: way and seen that animal from rescued all the yeah. way like until they're thriving. I life. show up no matter yeah. what. Like
1: I said, I, I you know I don't ask no questions. If I if I say yes, I'm taking that door. And and that's what it's about. And that's what that's what that's what real rescue to me is. You take these dogs out of harm's way and you do whatever it takes. And if they're not adoptable, if they're not adopted, then it is what it is. I bought I I built them their own safe haven. You know, June 6, thousand seventeen, I have five thousand dollars in a dream. I said I was going to build a place that if I was a rescue dog, how would I want to live? And I got that's what you
2: that's what you started
0: Pibbles and Addicts, five thousand dollars and,
2: and an idea. Yeah.
1: I almost got evicted because of my dog. That's- Aria.
0: That's five thousand cheaper than what uh, it took Master P to start No Limit. So you just imagine what he can do.
1: Five thousand in a dream, and the dream was to build a place that, if I was a rescued dog, how would I want to live?
0: And what is what is uh at
2: Pitbulls and Addicts? What are you guys doing today?
1: Today we are internationally known. Uh, today we are internationally known. Um, we currently have, you know, well over thirty dogs in our care. Um, We have, Freedom Home has been a safe haven for over a thousand dogs within the past six years. Um, I've been, I've become a man of my community. I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of work with schools. I do a lot of work with special needs. I do a lot of work with broken families. I try to guide as many addicts. I just, I started to take a different approach dealing with addicts because I take the shit home with me. And uh, your problems ain't my problems and my problems ain't your problems. And if you can't respect that, then what's the point of us being together? You know, a lot of people think that, you know, they forget that I take the shit home with me. This is my lifestyle. I'm not yeah. just a guy who rescues dogs. Yeah. I'm a man on a mission. I got nothing. Like I do this day to day. I don't got no corporation money behind me. I don't got no sponsors behind me. Everything you see is earned. And I don't do this with credit. I got no credit.
2: But I have everything I need.
0: Cold hustling. For real. Rangers
2: fruit podcast. We got Mike
0: are in, in the building. New <laughs> York. Oh, yeah, but cold, that's what huh? it is. I mean
2: Wow. That that it's it's so crazy to see, like, you know, you see uh somebody now, you know, A one shape, successful, like thriving in life. Just to hear the hear this story. Success like, is not of money. Yeah, exactly.
1: Success is who are you? Yeah, for who us Who are it's, you? Exactly. What can you offer? Like six take your money and, and shove it up your ass. Like your money means nothing. Money means nothing. It's the person inside. Yeah, Your looks mean nothing. Money, money could buy, you know, looks. Yeah. That shit means nothing to me.
2: It's what's on the inside. Inside. Yeah, what's on the inside.
1: And I also, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, change is possible. But I'm also a firm believer that you are definitely going to be judged by your actions. Like, who are you? Show me who you are. Don't tell me who you are. Show me. Your yeah, actions speak louder than words, and that's how I'm going to judge it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's how I that's how I operate nowadays.
0: <laughs> Look at cannoli coming just in time for one. Cannoli. We got our you little. Know, we got, got a we got a my, baby
2: Staffordshire terrier uh, in here.
0: Yeah, cannoli, the the her studio mascot. Yeah. So
1: what I want to do is, I do like I said. Now I'm going to invite you guys down. Thank you for having me out here in Cali. You know, you guys are. You know, I I feel like you guys need to come down to New York now. So put my Timbalands on. You need to chop this up. You need to make something good, and then we need to just continue. You need to come back to me over at my hometown with some real questions, and let's continue to do the Strangest Fruit podcast and and spread the the word that, you know, it it don't matter about where you come from, and it don't matter about, you know, what your story is. The only thing that matters is the story that you're going to write from the moment that you change your life to the moment that you hit this casket. You know, we're all changed men, and people need to understand that, you know, we're all fucked up. We live in a fucked up world, but, you know, you could still be a good person. And I feel like leading the right way and, um, showing people that it, that it is a good, it, it's a, it's, it's not a bad thing to be a good person nowadays. Right. You know, like you guys know, like you guys have been through it, you know, outside, inside, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, we need men in this world to, to show people that there's no reason to act that way and go through the struggles or end up places that we've been. Uh, or the struggles that we go through, or that we went through, and we still currently go through because struggle is struggle. Life is full of struggles, and you just show these kids that you know it's it, it's 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 very important to start now and not go through what we went through to be who we are. If you look at guys like us and say, like, "Yo, those guys are awesome," like you could be awesome too. Yeah. Like those guys are, however, they want to say about us. Like we are, we are we we're we're, we're we're cut from a different court, and it's it's mainly to do with, with a with a mental pain that a lot of people don't understand. Like, we all went down a different road with, because of the choices to run away from our mental. So you talk about mental illness, I think that everybody has mental problems. Yeah. Just, it's how we approach them. I ran from mine. You ran from yours. He ran from his.
2: Now you we run it. Now we run it. Now to we run Solutions. Together. Yeah, now we run now it we together run towards it. Now solutions. Now we run
1: together. And just show and and show people that, you know, like the world, is it, it's not full of racism and hate. You know, like, we got drug addicts and felons and, and we're, we're out here putting the work in to make the difference and to spread the love and to show people like, yo, you can't speak about this because you didn't live this. Exactly. But if you listen to the ones and I say like, yo, that's, a, that's the, one of the main reasons that programs don't work. I mean, again, not all programs. There are programs out there that work, but a lot of programs are not ran by people that actually live that life. So how could you guide the people that are in those programs? You just, you got that place because you got a fucking degree. And 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 you're good at what you do. And again, you may be educated to to cope with somebody and speak with somebody and get them, you know, their mindset somewhere else. But do you really fucking understand them? No, because you never sat in their seat.
2: God, I have uh, I have an example I want to use so bad. Okay. <laughs> no, plenty. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's that's been like uh,
0: we didn't we didn't sat down
2: a storyline. Yeah,
0: we didn't been just frustrated, like, man, this, this, that. We know how to change this. We know how to go about this. We know how to go about that. And then we sat down with dudes that have been in, you know, life in prison and got out. We're like, is it me or? You notice that a lot of these major, major nonprofits or organizations or whatever you may be or call it, they don't have anybody that's a formerly incarcerated person as their board member. Mm -mm. How can you have something designed to help people in these situations if you have nobody that's never been in that situation how are you gonna deal with uh how are you gonna tell a dog how to be a dog if you're a human yeah or how can a dog teach a human how to be a dog
2: exactly exactly
0: all right all right our brother brothers we need to we need to put this together before, and... before we go before we go tell everybody how to reach you all social media platforms any uh websites, all that uh, fitness tips, etc., etc. Tip just get
1: it in. You yeah, know yeah. Yo, I hated myself. I don't like, like one I said. of
2: those
0: six packs. <laughs>
2: nah, listen,
1: that's genetics, man. I, I do work out, but I'm I'm definitely not disciplined. Uh, my my, I'll be 40 in two days, like you guys know. Happy birthday! Um, man, man. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But listen, the truth of the matter is that I I, I came out here to uh, put my mind where it needs to be. It's a new decade for me, and again, like last decade, I was you <laughs> four know, times old. I was a troubled man you know what I'm saying? And a troubled boy throughout that decade. And and I think that it's time to be a man in this decade. We need to realize that we don't live forever. And that, you know, the choices that I made in the past made me who I was. And the choices that I make today will make me who I am. And I'm going to make the right choice. But the more importantly is like, uh, you know, like I'm happy and I'm, and I'm, I'm at, and I'm at the point now where I could, where I have finally accepted everything that I've been through and, everything that I thought that was going to break me and everything that I miss, like, you know, like losing my father was a big part of my life. Um, I lost a lot and, um, you know, I'm just, I'm okay. You
2: and know, the world's I, a better place because yeah. you, for sure. And the
1: truth is that I'm just okay. And I never thought that I'd be able to say this, but you know, I'm, I'm a happy man and you know, I'm a proud man and and I'm proud to be the one that some people do listen to, you know, as 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 a drug addict in recovery and everything that I've been through when, when people tell me like they let their kids watch my storylines and the kids are like, What's big Mike up to? You know, and and, and they just they they just these children are starting to follow me and I go to schools and the, the troubled kids are standing right beside me. Why is this happening to me?
2: Because you're one of them.
1: You know what I'm that's saying? That's your like, tribe, yeah. And then that's and and again, I'm I'm also like I said, I'm new to this. I didn't speak for something, you know, I was always embarrassed to speak and now that I'm able to speak, it's a little bit different nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Like now I'm happy to talk but I'm still learning how to talk. You know what I'm saying? So like the more and more that I could speak about certain things is the more influential that will be. It's just a matter of putting the whole story together. So I was just asked to do career day and here I am sitting next to, you know, I, I got state troopers and NYPD and FDNY and professors and and bankers and this and that, and and, and a drug addict in recovery with a pit bull. It's, not, it's just crazy on how this mission is coming together. So if you want to, Reach out to me. It's I use Instagram. I don't I, I, I cross post onto Facebook, but um I don't I'm not really a big Facebook guy, but everything I do is mainly through Instagram. Um and my website, which is, you know, my website is down. You could just get me on Instagram, Pitbulls and addicts. And um
0: that's that. We love you, bro. We thank you. Bro. I appreciate appreciate you, you. for having me. Yeah. All right, fam. We're gonna dial it out up out of here before we go. Please go check out the dolls of Sayaka Shelter. South LA, South Central Shelter, Paul Squad, Danny, Watch Projects. There's a lot of dogs that are being put to sleep in a very, seems like, downhill, uncontrollable manner. And we want to advocate for a lot of dogs in there. Please try to seek some type of assistance from a trainer to go and assess the dog so they can have the best life going forward and get some type of training. So, you know, this is DeDante from Strangers Fruit dialing out with my bro, Free Bliss, Brian Jane. We out.
2: All right. Peace. Hey, that was dope.